Kumana into center field. It's going to drop for a base hit. Scoring is Martinez. Quick is getting the wave around. Walk it off. Little big man. One one on the way. Oh. Well, that one is heading to Mansfield as it is Lumberjacks. Jesus Pozo clubs his third dinger of the year. Pujols with a drive deep to left. Richard looking up, and that is gone. Jose Pujols with his first home home run of the year. McCall's around first to throw to second. Tobias' tag in time to end the ball game. Swung on in the air, shallow right. Pujols in and over into foul ground, makes the catch to end the ball game, and the cutter storm the field as Pinkney Division champions. Oh boy, don't look now, folks, but we've got ourselves a playoff race here in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Welcome back, everyone, to the Timber Talk podcast. I am Mitch Rupert of the Williamsport Sun Gazette, and we have got plenty to talk about with the Class A affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies, the Williamsport Crosscutters. There's a big midseason series coming up this weekend as the Crosscutters play the State College Spikes, a St. Louis Cardinals affiliate, in a three-game set beginning on Thursday. Just one game separates the Spikes and the Crosscutters in the Pinckney Division, and the first game of that series will be the first game of the second half of the season. That's right, guys. It feels like we just got the season started here in Williamsport, but we're already 38 games into a 76-game schedule. And what a way for the Crosscutters to cap off the first half of the season this week with Ranger Suarez, a 20-year-old left-handed pitcher from Venezuela, tossing Williamsport's first no-hitter since 2013 and the first complete game no-hitter since the franchise moved to Williamsport in 1994. We'll get into that performance later in the episode with Crosscutters broadcaster Ian Catherine, who will join us for the second time this year on the Timber Talk podcast. Also with Ian, we're going to discuss Mark Laird's influence with the Crosscutters on his rehab assignment in Williamsport, both from a playing perspective and a teaching perspective for the younger players on the team. And we'll also discuss the recent hot streak by pitcher Bailey Falter, who in his most recent appearance struck out 10 batters. Also joining us in this episode will be the play-by-play voice of the Reading Fightin' Phils, Mike Ventola. Mike will break down the great start of former crosscutter Andrew Pullen, who is now hitting north of 360 in his first 20 games in baseball town. Also will break down Mario Hollins and his concerning lack of velocity since returning from Tommy John's surgery. And finally, of course, we'll talk about Dylan Cousins. But this time, we're not talking about the offense with Dylan Cousins. We're going to talk about his defense and the one former Philadelphia Philly I would compare Cousins' defense to. But we'll get into all of that a little bit later here on the Timber Talk podcast. First, let's go through this week's roster moves for the Williamsport Crosscutters. John Hernandez appeared in two games for the Williamsport Crosscutters this week as he was in Williamsport on a rehabilitation assignment from the Lakewood Blue Claws. He appeared in one game as a designated hitter, and he played one game at third base, which happened to be Ranger Suarez's no-hitter. The former third-round pick out of Puerto Rico is recovering from a sprained tendon in his left wrist and hand that kept him out of action for about a month. He has since returned to the Lakewood Blue Claws after playing his two games in Williamsport. Also, relief pitcher Grant Dyer, the Phillies' eighth-round selection out of UCLA, was promoted earlier this week to Lakewood after just seven appearances with the Crosscutters. But in those seven games, the 20-year-old right-hander was 2-1 with a 2.25 ERA. But more impressively, he struck out 21 batters in his 16 innings and did not issue a walk. His future coming out of the draft was likely going to be one as a reliever, He's proving those assertions correct so far, and now he'll get the opportunity to prove them on a higher level in the South Atlantic League. Not much has changed since we last talked about the Williamsport Crosscutters here on the Timber Talk podcast. The Crosscutters are still in second place in the Pinckney Division. The Crosscutters are still rolling through the month of July. As we record this here on Wednesday night, the Cutters have won six in a row, and they've won 14 out of their last 16 games. Everything seems to be going right for the Crosscutters, except for one thing. And we're going to talk about that here a little bit in Luis Encarnacion, the 18-year-old first baseman who is really struggling with the Crosscutters here in the month of July. It's hard to ignore 
even in all the good things that are happening with the Crosscutters right now, it's hard to ignore the struggles that Luis Encarnacion is going through. And part of it is because of the signing bonus he received as a 16-year-old. He was given a million dollars to sign with the Philadelphia Phillies two years ago, and now at 18, his season has been classified as a little bit, little bit of a disappointment here in the New York Penn League. He started the season off well enough, not great, but passable. He was hitting 242 through his first 16 games of the season, and for an 18-year-old in a college-dominated league, that's pretty passable, and that's a number that you could look at and say, okay, this kid's holding his own. Yes, there were warts with his game, averaging more than a strikeout per game, I believe 23 through those first 16 games of the season. He wasn't driving the ball, as you would hope the power hitter that Luis Encarnacion is would be able to do, but he was getting his hits. They're baby steps of, of what was considered a project player a little bit in Luis Encarnacion. You like to see guys at least get their numbers if they're struggling a little bit. He was at least putting the ball in play consistently enough through those 16 games to accumulate a number of hits. But everything has changed after those first 16 games. Over his last 15 games, Luis Encarnacion is just 5 for 57, which included an 0 for 41 stretch. But even more alarming, in 19 of his 61 plate appearances, he had strikeouts. So the question becomes, and it's been posed to me before on social media accounts, why is this happening to a player who was thought so highly of that he was given a million-dollar signing bonus by the Philadelphia Phillies? Why is this happening to a player who was brought to the States to play in the Gulf Coast League as a 16-year-old and who had a pretty successful season as a 17-year-old last year in the Gulf Coast League? The truth be told, he looks overmatched right now at times. He's struggling to recognize breaking balls. When he is getting fastballs, he's missing them. And he's not just missing breaking balls in the strike zone. He's chasing. And that's what's alarming because when you see that, you see a kid who's not picking up spin, who's not picking up the breaking ball out of the hand, and just looks generally uncomfortable when he's in the batter's box. And with each strikeout and with each failed plate appearance, you can see the tension in his body rising. He broke out last Sunday uh, after that, that 0 for 41 stretch with a home run against Auburn uh, that was a crucial home run. It gave the Cutters a lead late in the ball game before they gave it up in the ninth inning. But you could see when Luis Encarnacion, after he rounded the bases and got back to the dugout and accepted the congratulations from his teammates, the weight of the world was lifted off Luis Encarnacion's shoulders. And after the ball game that night, I talked with Crosscutters manager Pat Borders about maybe whether or not that could be a turning point for Luis Encarnacion. And, and Pat Borders stressed to me that it's not going to be one at bat. It's not going to be one swing. It's not even going to be one game, which will help turn around the struggles for a player. It's going to take him some time. But the positive for Luis Encarnacion has always been the mindset. I spoke to him after he hit that home run that night with the help of infielder Luis Espiritu, who translated for us. And, and give Luis Encarnacion credit. This is a kid who's 18 years old. He tried to do his interview with me in English, but after a while it just became too much for him. But I give him credit for at least trying to do the interview in English. He's a good kid who always seems to have a smile on his face. He had the proper mindset even as he was going through the struggles with the Williamsport Crosscutters. This was a kid who could kind of put everything on the back burner as each day started and would come in with a fresh mindset, a clear head, and put in his work. And that's what he said to me as we talked after he hit that home run. Every day was a new day for him. It was tough to deal with the struggles. It was tough to go to the plate and strike out three times a night or two times a night or just make weak contact and not be able to drive the ball that he wants to. But he knew every day he had to show up to the ballpark wanting to work and willing to work. And that was all he could do to try to get himself out of this funk. Yes, it's an alarming funk. It really is. The numbers are alarming. The batting average down south of 170 right now. But you have to appreciate, I believe, the mindset of an 18-year-old kid who is really struggling monumentally for the first time probably in his life. Baseball has probably always come easy to Luis Encarnacion. Now he's playing with kids that are probably four, three, five years older than he is, and he's starting to struggle. 
But as long as he continues to have that right mindset of showing up every day, he's going to be just fine. Maybe he doesn't come around as a hitter. Maybe the hit tool never develops enough to see the power that we know he has that we see watching batting practice. But this kid is going to come to work every day. He's going to come to the ballpark every day wanting to work and wanting to get better. Now, if you want a positive to hang your hat on from a physical tool standpoint, the power is for real with Luis Encarnacion. It may not be Jose Pujol's level raw power, but it's home run power nonetheless. That is the one carrying tool for Luis Encarnacion right now. He doesn't run particularly well. He's not a very good defender at this point at first base, but he spends a lot of times picking balls out of the dirt that are hit to him by Pat Borders, who will stand at second base and just hit you know, short hops to him again and again and again. And he's putting in his work to try and be better defensively, but he's just not a real good defender right now. The hit tool obviously is not there. You don't go through an 0 for 41 stretch if you've got a really good hit tool. So you have to live on the fact that the power for Luis Encarnacion is real. We see it with the home run against Auburn on Sunday night in a game where the crosscutters had to have a run. It broke a scoreless tie in the eighth inning of a ball game. That's what you have to hang your hat on right now. Pat Borders is a man who believes that confidence will carry these kids through their successes and even through their failures to an extent. But he believes that success breeds the confidence that they're looking for. And as I mentioned earlier, he said that that confidence isn't going to come after one game or after one swing. But we can see Luis Encarnacion turning a corner a little bit. Over the course of his last four games, he's 4 for 14, which doesn't sound like much, but over the course of those four games, he's only struck out twice. He's got better recognition on the plate. He had a really good at-bat the other night, Tuesday night for the crosscutters, that lasted nine pitches. And even though the at-bat finished with an out, I chalk it up as a positive at-bat for Luis Encarnacion because he stayed in there and battled. He recognized pitches enough to foul pitches off and work a deep count. That's something which wouldn't have happened over the previous two weeks with Luis Encarnacion. So there are signs of life. You're going to stare at the stat line a little bit, and you're going to be concerned, and there's reasons to be concerned. Feel free to be concerned. But look at the little pictures. Look at the little things that are happening, especially over the last four or five games, and there will be reason for optimism with Luis Encarnacion. I think we knew coming into the season that Ranger Suarez was going to be an interesting piece in the crosscutters pitching rotation this year, but I can't imagine many people expected the kind of, kind of game he put together Tuesday night when he tossed a seven-inning no-hitter at Auburn. To talk about Suarez's historical outing for the crosscutters, we bring in Ian Catherine, play-by-play voice of the Williamsport crosscutters. Ian, how you doing today? Good, man. How about yourself? I'm, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for joining us here again on the Timber Talk podcast. Ian was on one of the first episodes uh, of Timber Talk, and uh, I think it's safe to say that uh, uh, our listens probably spiked that week because uh, Ian carries such a great following. Right, man? Yeah. <laughs> I would like to think that, but uh, like I said before, you do such a great job with this. I think uh, your work does uh, speak for itself. Well, I appreciate that. Um, but we're, we're going to jump right into this because it's kind of hard to ignore what Ranger Suarez did last night in the uh, the, the first game of the doubleheader for the Crosscutters. Uh, 4-0 win for the Crosscutters, throws a seven-inning no-hitter, first no-hitter for the Crosscutters since 2013. Ian, I said after the game it was kind of a no-hitter that, that snuck up on people a little bit because it wasn't an overpowering kind of dominance from him last night. You just happen to look up. It's been five innings. He hasn't allowed a hit. Did you have a good feeling in the booth with, with your partner, Todd Bartley, uh, about what was going on, or, or did it kind of sneak up on you too? Uh, I would say probably about the second or third inning, uh, I started realizing, I said, this, I think I looked at him, like, oh, and I said, he's got a shot. Because he was locating well, uh, and he was doing everything that Mario uh, has talked about with me in our conversation about establishing that fastball, early contact, beat contact. And, uh, again, I, I think the thing that stood out more to me was the efficiency that he worked at. Fitzcarraldt uh, wasn't terrible. I think he was under eight pitches yesterday uh, during the no-hitter. And, uh, you know, again, a lot of weak contact, mixed with some fly balls, but a lot of ground balls. The defense played well behind 
th- that was the thing that stuck out to me and, and talking to Ranger after the game and uh, to Henry Lartigue, the, the catcher, after the game as well, he really kind of dominated with his fastball a lot. He didn't throw a whole lot of sliders. He had one here or there, but it was really fastball and changeup. And he used both sides of the plate with the fastball. That's to me, when you say when you say a guy dominated with his fastball, you think overpowering velocity. He kind of did it generating weak contact. And to me, that that's probably more impressive than a guy who just blows fastballs by people. Well, and I agree, but if you look at a guy like Ranger Suarez, two types of fastballs. He's got a four-speed fastball. He's got a two-speed fastball. Four-speed from the left side, you're going to get your, your, your lucky tail on it, but that two-steamer that he throws, he's not overpowering by any means, but it does have a lot of sink, and I think that's what he was getting a lot of is the ground balls at also, um, but him being able to mix that, mix the movement between the two fastballs and then change speeds with the changeup. Uh, really, that, that's the blueprint that William Schwartz and their pitching staff has used the play. And it, it's tough to argue against it because they're, they're winners of 14 of their last 16. So uh, Suarez really just gets to his strength with the fastball. Uh, and as you mentioned, mixed in that changeup and just kept hitters really all balanced with just those two pitches. And now that they've had one kid throw a seven inning no hitter, they've had Adonis Medina go eight and a third innings, no hit, take a no hitter into the ninth inning. You have to think that what Hector Berrios, the pitching coach, is teaching to this kids is really kind of hitting home with them because they seem to be following his game plan to a T. Well, absolutely. And when I think it's real easy for these young guys, whether they came up through Florida uh, as international free agents uh, or their draft guys last year's class or even this year, uh, it's real easy to buy into Hector uh, Barrios very good because he has such a passion for what he teaches and such a knowledge of how he te- uh, what he's teaching and how he presents his lessons and the philosophy of his, uh, well, I guess the message to his madness, that everyone kind of buys in. And once they start seeing it working in games, and uh, once they start believing in themselves, believing in that blueprint and attracting the blueprint, well, with the blueprint, and I understand a lot of the success of it. You, you mentioned earlier, Ian, uh, with the wins, the two wins last night, uh, the, the Cutters now won six in a row and, and 14 out of 16. Uh, moving off Ranger Suarez a little bit, it feels like this team has taken off a little bit since Mark Laird joined the team on a rehab assignment some 15 days ago. How much do you attribute the run the Cutters have been on over the last two, two and a half weeks to getting Mark Laird into the lineup and being a part of this team? Well, you look at a guy like Laird, he's a veteran, first of all. He uh, played on a team last year that was extremely successful, the division champion. Uh, he played uh, LSU. There's the, uh, a program that speaks for itself. They made a, a run in the postseason in 2015 with Mark Laird. Um, but he, he carries himself extremely well. And I see seems to be an approachable guy. Guys are always close to him on the road, uh, whether we're in the hotel, at the ballpark, on the bus. And uh, whether he thinks he's an impact guy or not, uh, to the younger guys, uh, he may not feel that way. He could probably ask him, he'll say, no, I don't think I'm much of an impact guy, but he is. And despite being that veteran guy that looks at a younger guy, uh, to talk to, or a first-year guy out of France to talk to. And then you go into the game when he's playing at the top of the lineup or he's playing out in left field. You and I have talked about it before, before games. His approach at the plate is next level. The guys can sit back and watch that. They watch his approach, talk to him about his approach. Uh, and then also his play in the outfield is um, looks to be next level to me as well. Uh, he may not be the biggest guy in the world, but he just makes some plays with his legs and skinning the baseballs, cutting them off sooner, getting him back into the hitting field that saves the Mexican bases and uh, help the pitching staff when they do give up his. Um, but uh, I think there is a, a correlation between the two, and, and you don't even have to look at numbers to realize that. It's, but uh, you know, a lot of people have to go off numbers. His batting average just under 
opportunities and the on-base percentage of 426 in those 12 games um, starts to tell a picture. Then again, once he gets on base, he's so lethal. Uh, he can steal bases. He only has four out of six, but he can take the extra base on a single or he go from first to third on a single. He can score from second. And uh, in 12 games, something like 13 runs score. So he's getting on base and he's finding ways to double him to score. And the Williamsport, they find ways to score almost at will at times. Sometimes you sit there thinking, when's the offense going to wake up? But also know in the back of your mind is going to. I'm glad you mentioned the approach and, and his approach at the plate and and maybe the teammates watching him. Pat Borders has been telling me that for two weeks now that he thinks the young guys around this team are learning with the way Mark approaches at every at bat. Because let's face it, this is a relatively young team, a bunch of, you know, 18, 19 year olds plus the new draftees. Mark's been around a year already. He understands how to uh, attack professional pitchers and it seems to have been rubbing off on the rest of the lineup especially a guy maybe like Archimedes Gamboa who's who's put together some uh better at bats hitting behind Mark Laird well I agree and the one thing with uh Gamboa and I, I've talked to uh that works as well uh about a guy like Gamboa and it really does feel like starting to understand he can play at this level and sometimes it takes guys longer than others to realize that, oh, yeah, I'm good enough to play here. That's why I'm here. Now let me do what I can do or what I've done to get me to this point in my career. And I, uh, again, I, I think the at-bat, I, I agree. Uh, you can go back and trace it back to Mark Laird and uh, just being that second guy that you can go to. And something you and I have talked about in the press box uh, before games, Mark Laird's presence in the leadoff spot has allowed Pat Borders to move David Martinelli into the three-hole, where Martinelli seems far more comfortable hitting. And just the the entire lineup construction around Mark Laird in the leadoff hole seems to make this lineup more effective. It does. And when you look at a guy like David Martinelli, yeah, he's got good bat, he's, he's uh, got good speed, he's got a little bit of top still, but he, nothing really about him needs to be leadoff. So I always found it interesting that he was in the leadoff spot. Uh, I always batted to uh, Dallas Baptist, there's a career there. And then uh, when they moved him into the spot, it almost seemed like a natural fit because he hit the ground running. And I think it was through the first eight games that Martinelli was in the three spot, the Cutters were seven and one. He was batting well over 300. Power numbers were starting to come around. Next to the bases, RBIs, some home runs. But, um, again, it, it almost leaves you have to put him down there because there's a leadoff guy. And uh, he's got the speed, that, the on-base percentage, and the ability to go the other way on the ground and stay on the line. So I think the puzzle pieces were starting to fall into place, like you were saying, and the lineup was basically in the way it needed to be for this team offensively. One other guy I wanted to ask you about, we're joined by Ian Catherine, uh, play-by-play voice of the Williamsport Crosscutters for ESPN Radio Williamsport. Uh, Bailey Falter really has turned a corner. His his first two starts of the season were a little underwhelming. The first one just wasn't very good. But his last time out for the Crosscutters, Bailey Falter strikes out 10, uh, I believe in six innings. And his strikeout numbers are really starting to elevate right now. Ian, what do you see that Bailey is just doing so well right now? Is it just pounding the strike zone? Well, again, this is a guy that I've talked to Hunter Barrios about. And uh, it's, again, a guy who was in spring training, down there no longer been extended. And uh, he he was putting this type of performance up down there. And that's why he got assigned to work in sports. And uh, they were actually thinking quite highly of Bailey Falter. And obviously, a fifth rounder last year, so they're obviously thinking highly of him um, at that point coming out of high school. But this is what they saw in extended spring with him this season. He came up, and as Hector Barrios put it, he was giving hitters too much credit. So it was one of those things where, all right, let's, let's get back to what you were doing back in extended, what got you here at this point in your career. And all of a sudden, he starts being successful. Eight strikeouts against the Fabia, 
against uh, Aberdeen. Then he had five at Vermont in a stellar start over six innings. Um, and then the 10 against Batavia's last time out at Batavia. But the one thing that separates his last four starts from his first two isn't necessarily the strikeout numbers to me. They are eye-popping. But it's the walk-up where his first two starts, he's going, I think it's total of six innings through his first three starts. He had six total walks. His last four starts, he's gone five or more. He's got two of them, six or more, uh, six in uh, the last two, just one more. And he's using the fastball, which I've seen up to 94. I don't think I've seen 95, but he's about 94 in game. It seems to be about the high where he's at, but he's uh, low 90 consistently. And it's amazing how well he can set up his fastball. And how well he uses it because I was, and I always bring that up to Hector Barrios that I've never seen a guy so many hitters in two strikes now with a fastball. And that's basically because they're setting it up. They either go away, away, the hitter looking away, then you bring it inside, or you get the hitter looking inside, they send it away. And um, that's what I mean, we've seen Jojo Romero be able to do, but Lerman's been able to do it at times. But Falter's the best batter, and of those, I think Barrios told me, of the 10 strikeouts, eight were looking, and then of the eight, six were looking on fastball. So you rarely see a guy get six strike, like looking strikeouts on a fastball because hitters are so used to being in protection mode with two strikes. I find it interesting that you say he's been up to 94. You know, the, the times I've seen him, he's a generally 88 to 90, maybe he'll touch 91, 92 here and there. But I think it's important for people to understand this isn't just a pitchability guy in Bailey Falter. This is a guy who's got some pretty good stuff, and he's a projectable guy too that you think that stuff may even get better. Is, is that a fair assessment? Oh, absolutely. He's 19 years old, uh, six foot four, 175 pounds. He's going to get stronger. Uh, he's going to get stronger through the, uh, the lower half. And the one thing that he's been working on with Hector Barrios is getting closer to home plate upon delivery. So it almost feels like he's right on top of a hitter to a guy at the plate. And that kind of makes the guy at the plate uncomfortable. And him, a guy like Will Hitt, who's already 6'7", six, 6'8", six, firing down the hill at him. That's some of the stuff the guys are working on. Um, with Hector Barrios, along with, you know, that's right. Now you're starting to get into what the fans stuff uh, with the pitching because guys are starting to repeat their motions a little better. Like Bailey Falter, they're testing his stuff a little bit better. So the mechanics are now there. Now they go into the, the more advanced stuff, like getting closer to the home plate um, when, re- when releasing every offering. And uh, his growth from start one to now has been exponential. And I think he does have an extremely high ceiling. And it, it, the breaking stuff, the secondary stuff, he certainly had to use at the studio. And they were six digits with the breaking ball that he threw the entire outing, the entire six innings, getting those 10 strikeouts. And because um, he was so good with the fastball and the changeup and setting everything up. But it, it is nice to know, it's almost scary to a hitter to know that he's got a, a good breaking ball he really has been fun to watch here over his last few starts and I think he's raising a couple eyebrows I think he was a guy people were looking at coming into this season as a a potential kind of breakout guy but I think he's been even a little better than what we've anticipated uh Ian I want to thank you so much for once again joining us here on the Timber Talk podcast why don't you give people an idea of uh, where they can follow you on Twitter and where they can listen to the games uh, you can go on at ESPNWilliamsports.com and you can uh, follow it. You can uh, listen to the games there. Uh, also on crosscutter.com, they have uh, the link that you can click on and uh, listen to the games there. And you can follow me on Twitter at IanCaparini27. And don't hold it against him that he's a Pirates fan or a Chargers fan or a Michigan State fan. No, you should probably hold all that against him. <laughs> You always bring that up. Always bring that up. It's you know, it's a Phillies minor league team. I, I think it's imperative that, that people understand what they're getting into here, right? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Ian, <laughs> thanks again for joining us here on the podcast, and hopefully we'll have you back on here soon. Sounds good, Mitch. Looking forward to it. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows how highly I think of our next guest here on the Timber Talk podcast. Mike Ventola is the play-by-play voice of the Reading Fightin' Phils and a personal favorite broadcaster of mine. And, and Mike has been kind enough to join us here on the Timber Talk podcast. Mike, thanks for joining us. How are things in Reading? First and foremost, my pleasure. And secondly, uh, things are good. Um, as Mitch, you are very well aware uh, how this team has played throughout the season, and it's given me a lot of joy. They've been a little sluggish. Um, since coming out of the All-Star break, but for as well as they have played overall this year, you were expecting for them to hit some bumps in the road, but still, overall, it's been as dynamite a year as you could have asked here for baseball and Reading. If I would have told you before the year that this would be a 70-win team before you ever hit August, would you have laughed at me? Uh, not only would I have laughed at you, but I would have politely asked you um, to like not come back anymore. Because <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I was I had the privilege of for the second straight year to go down to spring training for a week and, um, uh, you know, kind of getting an opportunity to uh, speak with the coaches a little bit beforehand. And I talked to Steve Milberita, um, as well a little bit. And, you know, we knew we were going to get a good lineup. Uh, we knew that hitting was going to be very good this year. Uh, we knew the pitching was going to have its ups and certainly have its downs. And it's certainly had its downs a little bit lately. So, but, you can you can bear with it, Mitch, as you know, through a young pitching staff. It'd be one thing if you had a lot of older guys you're not, and you're not pitching well. But, you know, we have a lot of young guys here in Reading that are showing signs of pitching well, but then there are some games where uh, things just have not gone well for them. Now, before I get into asking you about the individual players, I was watching a highlight of a Reese Hoskins home run here the other night. And did I see correctly in the background that for a home run now, at First Energy Stadium on the scoreboard, there's a video of Mike Ventola and his Derchi home run call. Yes, it's become uh, patent now here. It's, uh, <laughs> I guess I need to. I guess I need to copyright copyright it now. But uh, yes, they. I've been here now for my third season, and they decided to uh, blow it up. Uh, fans, they like it from what I've gathered, um, and uh, the team. You know, they like to bust my chops about it. Even our manager Dusty Waffen. Um, We'll, we'll kid from time to time, and our hitting coach, Frank Cacciatore, uh, he likes it, but he tells me every now and then I have to drop in a baseball town blast, so i got to make sure I drop in uh, that from time to time. But, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of caught fire here, Mitch, and uh, I'm very humbled by it. You know, it means a lot, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, as long as the fans enjoy it, that's all that matters to me. I'm just waiting for the T-shirts, man, because I will sport one around Bowman Field as long as I can if there's an Arriva well, Derchi T-shirt. There was there were some light talks about it, but I um, I asked it I and you can yell at me, uh, but I I put the gabash on it um, because at the end of the day I don't want this to be about me. I, I want this to be about the guys, and you know um, it, it, because at the end of the day this is who we're here to to watch, to talk about, and to hopefully all get up to the major league someday and help out the Phillies or you know eventually down the line maybe help out another big league club. So uh, you know. Um, but it's fun. You know, in the meantime, I am, you know, getting a chance to enjoy it. So some graphics have been made. Some stuff has been floating around the Internet. But for the T-shirts, Mitch, I'm sorry. I kind of put the, <laughs> I put the kibosh on it. So. Well, you do a great job, Mike, and you know how big a fan <laughs> I you. am uh, of you. And I love the Arrivederci call. You make the game fun. And, and, and as a listener, I appreciate that. So let, let's, get into some, let's get into some individual players. I want to ask about Andrew Pullen a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. a guy who's a former cross-cutter. And one of the more interesting stories in minor league baseball this year uh, he stepped away from the game for a few weeks because of some personal reasons. He's come back, and all he's done in Reading is hit at a 360 clip in the 20 games he's played. How good has he been in a lineup that was already pretty good? I, if it was possible, Mitch, to make this lineup even better, well, he did just that. And what I like about him is I think he is really good being a number two hitter in this lineup because – um, before Jess Maul Valentin got promoted, I thought Jess had uh, filled the bill nicely after losing Roman Quinn due to injury and obviously with J.P. Crawford going up to AAA. And I think Poland right now has been the perfect medium for what these guys offer. He has some pop in his bat, but he understands as well that he has to get on base as well, too. And between you and I, Mitch, and you know, there's a lot of talent in this lineup. I think Jorge Alfaro is probably the most well-rounded, most talented guy in this lineup. But I think when you look at hitting just from a pure hitting standpoint 
we may be talking about at the end of the season that Andrew Pollan may be the best pure hitter in this lineup, just the way his swing is. It's short, it's compact. It kind of reminds me a little bit, and you are more than free to correct me if I'm wrong, reminds me a little Chase Utley in a little bit. And I think, you know, with him, the best thing ended up being a blessing in disguise for him was to kind of step away, recharge his batteries, and come in with a clear head because it's it'd been extremely clear. He took off in clear water, had that 16-game heading streak. He'd come up here now and you know, got it as far as 21 games. He had to spend a, a stint on the DL. But since coming back from the disabled list, he's been fantastic. So it's uh, it's been a pleasure getting to watch him. The the one thing that's always been the story with Andrew Pullen from the time you know he broke in here with the Crosscutters till now when he's in Reading is his recognition of off speed pitches. And I was down for the game the other night as as I saw you there, Mike. And he his recognition of those pitches seems to be better. Can you see him getting a grasp and and understanding when to lay off those pitches? Yes, because I haven't really seen him strike out all too much. And, you know, he does a very good job of making good contact. Now, whether it's a ground out or a fly out, you know, I think, you know, Frank Hatchatory, Dusty Watt, and I think they, you know, want to see these guys, you know, make good contact. And, you know, if he finds a glove, whether it's on the ground or in the air, so be it. But I think for Andrew, and I think with him, you know, I know he – having to spend a little bit more time in the lower levels than probably what he would have liked. But I think it's worked out immensely for him. He's come up here. He's made as quick as a transition as I've seen from a guy from uh, high A to double A here in my short three seasons. Uh, Dylan Cousins did a nice job last year when he came up. But I, I got to be honest with you, with watching what what Andrew Poland has done, it's kind of rivaled even what J.P. Crawford did last year when coming up from Clearwater. So uh, he's as well-rounded as a guy. And it's like I said a little bit ago, I think when the end of the season – and it may be talks already that you may be looking at a guy who may be uh, one of the best, if not the best hitter in this lineup. I'm glad you've mentioned that, just how good a pure hitter he is, because I think we get hung up because he's an outfielder. We want to see power numbers. But with guys like him who are just really good, pure hitters, I think the power eventually comes because they make such solid contact. And that seems to be what his game is. Yes, he homered the other night. And, look, you've been to First Energy Stadium enough, and I think some of your uh, your cohorts there in Williamsport are very much well aware of what First Energy Stadium brings. It's a hitter's ballpark. For, you know, for whatever reason, the wind kind of tends to blow out a little bit more. It's more hitter-friendly than it is pitcher-friendly here. He hit a baseball where I talked to um, uh, the gentleman who uh, runs the track uh, the track man who pretty much you know calculates the speed and all the in-depth uh, analysis and statistics what happens throughout the game 106 off his bat he Ooh, crushed boy. over the right field wall 106 so to me i don't care if it's a hitter's ballpark 106 off the bat mitch that's really good and and that shouldn't be uh pushed aside so um that's why and he's not the biggest guy, as you know. He's not that big a guy, but you don't need to be the biggest guy in the world. He's strong, and I do think the power is going to continue to de- develop. But for right now, he he uses all sides of the field, which I like. And, you know, I think uh, from a defensive standpoint, I'd like to see a little bit more. You know, they, they have him in left field because Dylan Cousins is in right field, and, um, you know, he's got pretty good speed. So, uh, you know what? I've been happy to see him, you know, watch him go through his development while he's been here. I've heard already uh, with Andrew Pullen the Redding enhancement arguments because he's hit five home runs in, in 20 games that he's played for the Fightins. But this is a kid who led the Florida State League with 14 home runs last year in a league that generally saps the power out of the best power hitters in the league. So that's a part of his game. It's not like this is something new that, that he's hitting the ball a long way. So uh, I don't think we should be surprised that he's hitting home runs. No, not one bit. We shouldn't be surprised him hitting home runs. And guess what? When he got called up, he ended up hitting his first home run in Portland at Hadlock Field. He ended up hitting a home run, which by far is one of the besides from the home runs I've seen from Alfaro, Cousins, and Hoskins this year, they've been moonshots most of their home runs. But he hit a home run at the Diamond in Richmond, Poland, that was over the right center field wall. And if I had Frank Hatchatory sitting here right next to me, I'd put him on because you want to talk about the largest gaps in the Eastern League besides Cannot Park and Akron. He 
had a chance to really showcase his power then and there. Well, I sat there and I went to Frank and I go afterwards, I said, Poland, somebody said, Mike, he's got pretty good, you know, he's got some pop in his back. So just to kind of give you an idea with his home runs, he's had three home runs on the road and two home runs here at First Energy Stadium. So um, he's actually been a better hitter on the road than he has been at home. He's hitting 390 on the road compared to hitting 341 at First Energy Stadium. A, a measly 341. Yes, I'm easily through. I make it sound so bad. That's so poor. <laughs> uh, another guy I wanted to ask you about, we're joined by Mike Ventola, play-by-play voice of the Reading Fight and Fills. Mario Hollins isn't so much a prospect mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, he spent some time with the Phillies before undergoing Tommy John surgery. But I saw him the other night throw, and I was a little concerned because uh, he was 87 to 89 with his fastball. And this is a guy who was throwing 95, 96, 97 when he was up with the Phillies. How concerned are you by his lack of velocity since coming back from surgery? I'm a little concerned, but to me, where he can still show his effectiveness is his fastball is not straight. It has some movement to it, so it has shown to be deceptive at times to these double-A hitters. Now, that's why I said keyword double-A hitters. It's not going to work up in the major leagues. And he, when he was pitching up at triple-A, he had success with Lehigh Valley, and I think he was sent down here more because I think he would be used more. And secondly, AAA is very crowded right now. So, and even despite some movement that have taken place, you know, it's, it's got a little less crowded, but still crowded overall. So allowed him to come down here, continue to work on his stuff. I think the Phillies like him quite a bit. I think that's part of the reason why he um, accepted his assignment when he got designated for assignment here. And, you know, from a mentor standpoint, not that he's an old guy, but he is a guy with major league experience. He's, um, he's shown the ability to um, really be a good team guy. And, you know, I think as he continues to get the rust off, because kind of talking with him a little bit about the Tommy John and, you know, obviously it's had an effect on him and he's just down here to work, just to work, build up his arm strength. So, um, you know, I haven't had too many in-depth conversations with pitcher coach Steve Schrank about it. It's something that I was planning to do in the next uh, few days uh, was kind of sit down and really just kind of hash it out with him. But, um, you know, looking at some of his outings this year, he's had a couple, he's had one real bad outing, which is why his numbers are inflated. But there have been some moments, though, where I sit there, I'm like, I don't know, you know, he's getting double-A guys out. I don't know if it's going to be good enough to get a triple-A or a major league guy out. I think maybe he kind of gets a pass on this year because what the rule of thumb is about 18 months post Tommy John surgery when you really get back to what you were. I think 18 months probably puts him at the start of the off season. If he comes back in the spring and is throwing like this, is it safe to say that that's when the the, the organization might be pretty concerned? I think so too, and that's why I think they really wanted him to come down here, help this team. You know, the team's in the midst of a playoff run right now. Help the team there. Work on, you know, work on your craft. Work on building back your arm strength. He's he's as diligent as a worker as there is in that entire clubhouse. He come. He's one of the first. Literally, I got to the ballpark early today, and he was the first guy in. So he's one of the first guys in, one of the last guys out. So he understands what's at hand here. I think a lot of it, though, too, is obviously he doesn't want to be here. He was here in 12 and 13. He doesn't want to be here or even back up in Lehigh Valley. So he was trying to do all he can uh, to get back up to Philadelphia. The last guy I want to ask you about is the obvious guy that everybody has asked you about, mm-hmm. Mike Ventola, is, is Dylan Cousins. But I'm not going to ask you about his offense. I'm not going to ask you about his home and road splits uh, or, or his trouble against left-handers. I'm going to ask you about his defense because that's where I see a lot of argument right now as I, I troll around the message boards and, and listen to different people. We hear he's athletic, especially for a guy who's 6'6", 230 pounds. The stolen base numbers tell you, tell us that he's athletic. But is he a capable outfielder? Is he a guy who can play a capable outfield in the big leagues? Yes, I do think he's capable. Do I think he is an everyday right fielder? <sighs> Probably not. And the reason why I say that is um, I do think he can move. I mean, he has shown his ability where he has pretty good speed for being a bigger guy. His arm strength, it's, what's amazing is, what is amazing is that he has shown at times where his arm doesn't look to be, that, to be as good as uh, proclaimed, but then there's been some moments where He's shown off the arm pretty well. He threw a guy out at third here the other night um, on, on line. 
hopped, I think, just maybe a, a, a half a foot short in front of the third base bag, um, you know, with right field here. I do think that if he were to get up to the major leagues as an outfielder, he'd be more of a left fielder, Mitch. And, um, you know, to me, that's not a knock. If you're going to go play every day in left field, um, there's how many Hall of Famers in Cooperstown that were everyday left fielders. So, um, but that's where I think he would be able to play um, if he were an outfielder. So they've played him in center field a little bit. He's played now two. He's made two starts in center field, um, just because of uh, need and necessity at the time. So, but I just think for long term, I do think he will end up in left field. But for now, they still like him in right field. He's second in the Eastern League in assists behind Glenn Davis of the Bowie Bay Sox. He has 10. Glenn Davis has 11. So, you know, Dylan has had had a lot of opportunities to kind of uh, show why he deserves to be an outfielder. Now, it's funny. I've talked to some people, too, that, Mitch, and maybe this is where you were kind of wanted to go with this, uh, that it'd be interesting to see if they move him to first at some point, especially if he continues to show the showcase the power that he has here. So, um, but obviously, that'd be a whole other discussion with Reese and, with Tommy Joseph up in the major leagues. You have Darren Ruff and Brock Stassi at AAA right now. So mm-hmm. I do think at least if Dylan Cousins will continue his future here with the Phillies, it'll be in the outfield, in whether it's left or right field. Mike, I want to throw a name out at you that, that I've thought in comparison to Dylan Cousins as a defensive player for probably a year or so now. And I think I would get vilified if I, I wrote this in an article or on a message board. board. But he reminds me a lot of Pat Burrell. Uh, as a left fielder, Pat Burrell had a great throwing arm, um, but wasn't probably even an average defender. Now, Dylan might be an average defender, but as he gets older and stiffens up a little bit, I think it might be a fair comparison. I think that is a fair comparison. How fitting, because as we record this um, on this Wednesday, July 27th, Pat Burrell is getting inducted into our Reading Baseball Hall of Fame. So, Pat Burrell will be in attendance. He'll get the opportunity to watch Dylan Cousins. So, and I like that comparison because, um, you know, I watched Pat play um, throughout throughout his career, and you know, I think with Pat playing in left field, you know, him being an, an average fielder, but like you said, had a good arm. And I think for Dylan, um, he going back to what I said earlier, we've seen the moments where he has shown the good arm, and we've seen the moments where we haven't seen. I think back to the Futures game in Philadelphia, where it where he made a big-time throw, and people were talking about it. They're sitting there saying, wow, man, Cousins has this big-time arm. He's got this big-time arm. I would probably have to say Cousins' arm compared to Burl's is probably maybe a notch below, mm-hmm. but I think he is at least a little bit. I think, But I think he's a step ahead in athleticism and the ability to move around. So, But that's not pretty That's pretty good, though, you know, because if you're going to tell me he's Pat Burl, I think every Philly fan, Mitch, would sign on the dotted line if you tell me he's going to be the next Pat Burrell, because I, I sure would. I, I'll take that, definitely. Uh, the, the the last thing I'm going to bring up to you here, Mike, is uh, Roman Quinn started playing games in the GCL mm-hmm. again this week, and it, and it got me to thinking. I mean, Osmel Aguila has done a, a very nice job for the Fightins, uh, filling in in center field, but it got me to thinking about what the lineup in Reading could be in a couple weeks, where it could be Roman Quinn, Andrew Pullen, Dylan Cousins, Jorge Alfaro, Reese Hoskins, Jake Fox, Scott Kingery, and then, um, you know, Angelo Mora or Harold Martinez at third base. Part of you has to be just a little bit giddy that that could be what the lineup is in a couple weeks. I sit here every night and I'm looking at guys who are on the bench and I'm thinking there's in, in regards to the double A mindset and spectrum, these are guys that would be starting on every team, every team like uh, Casey Cerna, um, is a guy that, you know, he's been batting seventh, eighth, ninth sometimes. You know, once in a while, Dusty put him in the, the leadoff spot. He'd be there more consistently in uh, with some other Double A teams, even Angelo Mora. So if you're going to take, a, if you're going to get Roman Quinn back, first of all, if you're going to get Roman Quinn back, Quinn, uh, Quinn back, it's going to, to me, will put less time for Osmel Aguila, who has done a good job. Um, and I'll be honest with you, Mitch, I was not a fan early. Um, he's starting to grow on me a little bit. Um, and you know, I've talked with some scouts a little bit that think he has some tools. So, um, you know, but I think getting, if you ever get, first of all, if you get a Roman Quinn back, you would probably look at a lineup like it'd be Quinn, then Poland. Then you look at Alfaro, Cousins, Hoskins, Fox. You could put Harold Martinez at third, uh, Scott Kingery batting eighth or ninth. And, That's scary. And you're talking That's about Scott scary. Kingery's the next second baseman in Philadelphia, and that guy's hitting eighth or exactly. ninth in the lineup? So 
so that's what I mean. You're, you're, you're seriously going to have him batting eighth or ninth. You have Harold Martinez batting seventh. And then, you know, then you go, you, if, if you want, you probably actually would bat King Green ninth because of his speed and the turnover in the lineup. So then you're telling me you have either Angela Moore or Casey Cern at shortstop playing eighth or batting eighth. Huh. Uh, yeah. I mean, this, this, I mean, I, I chuckle here and, um, but, you know, between you and I, Mitch, and I've been very happy with how this lineup is done. Um, and this, this, this lineup has helped win so many, is win so many games, but I'll be honest with you. Um, this pitching, it needs to get a step better if this team wants to win the Eastern League Championship this year. And I know that's what is on the minds and hearts of all the fans here in Reading, and I think even the Phillies want to see this team win an Easter League Championship this year. So um, I'm hoping that the pitching can uh, continue to grow and continue to develop here as we get ready to go into the month of August and into the early part of September. Well, hopefully we can get you on here before the end of the season and, and talk yes. a little more about that pitching. Mike, I, I really appreciate you joining us here on the Timber Talk podcast. Why don't you give people an idea where they can follow you on Twitter and how they can listen to the, the Fight and Phil's games? I appreciate it. And Crosscutter fans, uh, appreciate you Well, you know, listening to Mitch. He does great work. But, you know, if you do want to keep an eye on what's happening with the Reading Fight and Phil's, uh, you can go to www.fightens.com. And you can click on the multimedia tab and you'll see a listen live link. It'll take you to the tune in page. And from there, you'll be able to click on the listen live link, which will take you right in uh, to the tune in app. If you also have it on your phone as well. Uh, but if you want to follow me on Twitter, as Mitch said, uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Give me a tweet at venting daily. So you can also type in my full name, Michael Ventola on the search bar. It'll come right up. So, but at venting daily, if you want to send me a tweet, and um, you know, I'd love to hear from you. So uh, appreciate Mitch for having me on. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Enjoy the Hall of Fame weekend down in Reading, and hopefully we'll talk to you again real soon. Hopefully we'll, Mitch, and uh, f- please feel free to come back and visit whenever you can. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mitch. Once again, a big thank you to Crosscutters broadcaster Ian Catherine for joining us here for a second time on the Timber Talk podcast. He will be the voice you hear along with Todd Bartley anytime you tune into a Crosscutters game. And they both do a great job in describing the action. Also, a huge thanks to Mike Ventola, the play-by-play broadcaster of the Reading Fight and Phils, for joining us to converse a little bit about the record-setting season and some of the players involved in the Fightin's record-setting season. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Mitch underscore Rupert, M-I-T-C-H underscore R-U-P, ERT. And should you have any questions about the Cutters or Phillies prospects in general, feel free to send them my way and we'll answer them on a future podcast. You can download the Timber Talk podcast now on iTunes as well as still listening on SoundCloud. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast on those channels, rate them, and leave your comments on what you think we can be doing better or what you would like to hear us talk about here on the Timber Talk podcast. You can read all my stories about the Crosscutters at www.sungazette.com. Just scroll to the bottom of the front page and look for my picture and a link to my blog called Beyond the Boundaries. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. Arrivederci. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Timber Talk Podcast.